Podcast One Production. Obviously, wars are not much fun. They're just about the least fun thing there is. They're terrible, they're serious, they're horrible. Strangely, though, the reasons why humans go to war sometimes can be really quite absurd, trivial, and yeah, quite funny. On this episode, we're going to look at some of the most trivial and silly wars in human history and ask, are they... Cat's pyjamas or cat's piss with the chaser. Our panel today, Andrew Hanson, Chris Taylor and Charles Firth. My name is Dom Knight. G'day, guys. Are you ready for a bit of uh, a making light of war? Oh, yes. I've got my stomach muscles ready to just laugh at war. Yes, and bizarrely, going back in history, there really have been some incredibly trivial and silly wars. In 1859, Great Britain and the USA went to war over a pig. There was a border uh, between Canada and Washington State, as they are now, but it was Britain back in the day. In 1859, an American farmer on the disputed San Juan Island um, got very annoyed and patriotically annoyed when his neighbour's pig ate some of his potatoes. So he shot the pig, which belonged to an Irish farmer. They couldn't work out the compensation package, so both men went to their respective colonial powers and they almost went to war. Uh, soldiers milled around on the border and they ended up deciding not to have a pig war. What do you think, Casper or Cat's Piss, going to war over a pig being shot across a border? Was the pig a favourite pet or something? Like how beloved was this pig? It's not entirely clear, but the, the, the owner of the pig was quite annoyed. I don't know whether that was because he loved the pig or wanted it for dinner. I mean, I, I think this is Cat's Pyjamas. I think... You know, sovereignty is an absolute and it's a thin end of the wedge. You, you shoot a pig, next week you'll be shooting a horse, then you'll upgrade to maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know, cattle ranch. Yeah. You know, suddenly, you know, America's invading the whole of Canada. So that was sort of, they were trying to stem the slippery slope. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if the pig was particularly delicious or something, if, it, you know, someone had their eyes on it for, you know, their bacon and eggs. The next morning, so they're really quite aggrieved that the pig was suddenly shot. That might be sufficient reason to go to war. I can imagine Matt Preston or someone like that getting so annoyed that a food source had been denied to him that he that he'd take up arms. He would well, rally an army of, of cravats. food critics. As the militant I mean, vegan in the uh, in the room, Andrew, almost. What do you think? Would you would you go to war over a pig? Well, I mean, look, I I think it's cats. Pajamas, because it does sound like a horrible crime against pigs. But uh, I mean, what was the situation before? Like, were there any simmering tensions, or was everything totally fine? These two dude neighbours were getting along uh, like a house on fire, and then they just went nuts over the pig. Well, I think or, or... the I think the context. I just saw the musical Hamilton, which is wonderful, oh, wow. and Britain was pretty upset about losing the Revolutionary War. So they they hung on to Canada, but they didn't have the US anymore. So what actually happened, amazingly enough, the British governor of Vancouver Island, as it then was, demanded that his rear admiral land some Marines and start shooting shooting at Americans. So um, they really did overreact to the the shooting of the pig. The feeling they were itching for a fight, and the pig was just the excuse they used. Or the last straw. I mean, this happens with flatmates, you know. It it finally gets to the point where if if they've just left a dirty fork on the the kitchen sink, that's it. It, It's all-out war. And so I understand. I understand where they're coming from. I think it's... Is it like maybe a a married couple, and it's like, it's the the bacon sandwich that's one of the mate that... Um, is the last straw. 
Wait, so was the pig on the American side or the British side? Well, the pig didn't fight in the war. So no. what? Well, it was dead. Right? <laughs> yeah. no. The pig, the was, casualty. The pig yeah. was on the American the pig side. It was an American right. pig. Well, I think this is totally understandable, which mm. is... so. So and the British person shot the the pig. Oh yeah. And so the concern would have been been that they're trying to turn it into English cuisine, which we all yeah. know is horrible. This was a much yes. bigger issue than yeah. just sovereignty. No, this, this was uh, over the future of American uh, cuisine. American barbecue. Yeah. Well, also mean, bacon. Ribs. Canadian yeah. bacon is appalling. Well, it's very sweet and sticky with maple yeah, it's, it's syrup. It's very solid. It? It's yeah. crunchy. I think Charles is right, though. They sort of saw you know, what the English chefs on the other side of the border might do to this delicious beast. Mm. And out of respect for the pig yeah. and knowing what the American barbecue pitmasters uh, had in mind themselves. Look, that probably uh, is worth uh, going. To f- uh, lo- I'm actually a, lo- dis- a low and slow war. I'm actually disappointed that they didn't go to war. Mm. I actually think that you know this should have been the, the big... Fight down yeah. in 1959. Not the slavery the stuff. Other, the other problem here is, you know, it's all very well for the Canadians and the Americans to have this, you know, disagreement. You never hear from the pigs. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, they're That's the ones side. that are in the middle of this conflict. Mm. No, no one's ever gone to ask another pig, where do you stand on this? They're do you the think pawns in all this. They, the loss of your brother. Do you think it's worth taking up arms? Because pigs would fight. We've all seen a wild boar or, you know, an oh, angry... Yeah. They would... Yeah. If, if they... Th- they're the only ones who really have a genuine grievance here. They're the ones who've lost a fellow brother. I'd be to think so you're almost serious about if this, If the Tal. pigs didn't oh, take up arms, then it sort of makes sense to me that the Canadians didn't either. Well, I think I think it's I'm disappointed in the pigs that they, that they didn't rush to defend their yeah. fallen comrade. No I mean, loyalty. I think we've got yeah. a consensus emerging that it was all the fault of the pig. <laughs> Let's move, though, to, uh, to the Chincha Islands. Uh, the Spanish landed there in April 1864. Now, these islands were claimed by Peru, and there was nothing special about them at all, except for one thing. Birds really loved pooing on these islands. Mm. The Chincha Islands were made of guano, and this... Um, sparked off a war that lasted for two years. They Peru were, got involved. They were made of guano? Or they, the, the, the it was bird. like Nauru. The, the, it was an island made largely of bird droppings. Right. And so Spain if, if, went if to war. Were, if, if birds didn't release their boughs at this particular point in the ocean, there wouldn't be a landmass there. There'd be nothing <laughs> it's valuable. entirely made out of hardened, solidified guano bird shit. Pretty much. Was it, why, yeah, why did they shit in this spot? Was this kind of like a halfway, you know, when they were sort of halfway along the migration, this was the yeah, standard sort same of toilet as Nauru. spot? Oh. It's a little like, outcrop of rocks, and before you know it, uh, there's a giant prison camp there. But it, <laughs> but Andrew's point, like, was it just sort of the natural loo break in their migratory journey? I think so. Yeah, yeah. So, But it, it really, for a literal mound of poo, a lot of countries got involved. There was Spain versus Peru and Chile, Ecuador and Bolivia. And they had quite a lot of naval battles. There were several naval battles over these islands of shit. Mm. Is, it, is this because these people like to smoke bird shit or something, didn't they? Is that right? It's fertiliser. Um, I'm, maybe oh, okay. people smoke yeah, it, but it was garden. very useful as, as fertilizer. It, so it, imagine your sort of dynamic lifter. It's phosphate. So uh, you can use it to, you know, light matches. Like matches are made of phosphate. Are they really? But also fertilizer. Um, I mean, this is mm. before there were smartphones and, you know, TV and interesting things to do. This is what wars were about. They were resource wars. And probably the most useful thing in the world was phosphate. So, so would you go to war over bird poo? It sounds like you would. Absolutely. This is cat's pyjamas. Like, like empires have been forged 
on the use of phosphate because it, that's, I mean, look right. at the, yeah. the economic boom of the 1970s and 80s in Australia was entirely based on the superphosphate subsidies. So we weren't on the sheep's back. We we're actually on the bird's poo. Yes, that's <laughs> the right. The bird's bow. Yeah, just what? learn some history. Is that though. why it's what? lucky when a bird shits on you? Because it's actually making you richer. Oh, yeah. It <laughs> saves you <laughs> having to raise an armada and go to war because you've just got the stuff coming at you for free. Now, this is my question, probably which steers me a bit towards cat's piss on this one, is wouldn't it have been easier and cheaper to train the birds just to drop, evacuate their bowels over your country. Yeah. Mm. So rather than fight this messy war out in the middle of the ocean with other navies, if you just somehow, I don't know what you do, a large net in the yeah, air. Yeah, a large somehow, aviary. A large aviary, reroute the birds over Peru or whichever country you were, and therefore get them to dump on top of well, the city square, wherever's a convenient place to put a lot of guano. That would have been a better solution than killing people over it, wouldn't it? I reckon you just get a, a fountain because pigeons love to <laughs> go around fountains. Yeah. Trafalgar Square just, style. Yeah, and yeah, just then just suddenly you'd have all the bird poo that you need. I think what, that's a very good well, idea. Well, it takes thousands of years to build up these guano supply. That's the Nauru's oh. problem. It sold it all off, and so Nauru's now this basically mm. mined-out shell. Whereas I think, actually, at the peak of Nauru's wealth, it was, I think, the wealthiest country in the world. It per was, capita. and they blew yeah. it all. Yeah. They, they used to own tons of skyscrapers around Sydney and Melbourne. Because they had the bird poo. Yeah, right. Yeah. Wow. So who ended up winning this bird poo war? It was actually kind of a stalemate. Both sides claimed that they'd won, and the Spanish fleet went home reckoning that they uh, claiming to have um, taught the poo hoarders a lesson. So uh, back back in those days, there was no internet, so you couldn't check news sources. So you just claimed you won every battle. Yeah, right. But who right. who got the bird poo? I think Spain got enough poo to make it worth their while. Put it that way. Right. Okay. Right. And what, what do the islands look like now? I mean, have they have they all been used for matchsticks? They look like someone who probably shouldn't ask too many questions about a last minute prepared podcast. <laughs> was, was it was it solely just the value of the poo, or or could you, if you were thinking of a honeymoon destination, or something, <laughs> like was the island intrinsically beautiful? Like, sure, there was the smell of shit everywhere, but if you looked out beyond the shores of the poo, were there nice blue oceans and tropical seas and, you know, like, was it a destination in its own right or was it basically a pile of bird shit? I think it was basically a pile of bird shit. Not unlike, say, Coffs Harbour. Yeah, or, like or Great Kepler. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Moving along here, one of the most famous wars, actually, in the past couple of hundred years was, in fact... Um, fought over the right to sell drugs. I'm talking about the Opium War, oh, yes. fought between Britain and China, 1839 to 1842. And you probably know about it. But to remind you of the context of this, China had a whole lot of merchandise that the West wanted, things like tea and silks and all these sorts of things, spices. But there was nothing that Britain had that the Chinese wanted. They were very self-contained and isolationist until the British started bringing in opium. And suddenly there was a massive market. The Chinese got hugely addicted to it, um, spent a lot of time in opium dens just smoking, and it obviously hurt China quite a lot. So the Chinese banned opium, at which point they went to war. What do you think? A, a war over the right to sell drugs, cat's pyjamas or cat's piss? So opium was legal, wasn't it, in Britain, obviously, because I think all the romantic poets, I think, you know, like to have a puff and then go away and write their masterpieces and so forth. I didn't realise it was illegal in China. Was it only well, it after wasn't at first. They banned it because it was, you know, making people sick. All that idea of the opium den where people are just lying on mm. sofas and slowly dying, they thought that was a bad idea. The British disagreed. Uh, now, my understanding of this war was that it was because there was, no, there was a huge trade deficit. Like, essentially, 
Britain was paying all its money to China to get all the silk and China yeah. from China. And England had literally nothing to sell back. And so they went, hang on, why don't we hook them up onto opium and then they'll actually, it'll balance the trade thing. Yeah, that's so what I was trying to sort of was, establish. Yeah. Set up. It, they the British had nothing except for this one thing yeah. in return and they were massively in debt. It's kind of like if America... Uh, started selling drugs to China again to end the trade but deficit they've got now. what was the war Because if, if Britain's got a product China finally wants, but it's suddenly become illegal yes. to, to sell that product to China. So what was the war fought well, over? Was it an emperor, illegal trade route of opium? No, what happened was the, emperor, the Chinese emperor uh, issued a decree ordering the seizure of all the opium in China. And so take all of it, and I think they burnt it or whatever, and Brit the British lost 20,000 Chests of opium straight away, no Chests. compensation at all. So, of course, they sent in the soldiers. Oh, right. so basically, it was like a drug dealer who hasn't been paid for their mm. drop-off. Yes. So they've yeah. said, we're going to come in and <laughs> blow you up unless you pay up. Was it sort of like that? That's or exactly if, what it was like. Or right. if the drug addicts, when I'm actually going, going cold turkey, uh, I'm not going to have any more of your stuff. And then the drug dealer went, no, you're not. I'm going to come in and force you to take more of it. I was like, whenever I first heard about the opium war, like back at school, I always had this idea that it was a war fought by people on opium. And it was well, like, it was like the most pleasurable war in the world and everyone <laughs> was kind of cool and gentle to each other and a bit passed out. Very ineffective combat because everyone was just basically lying down. using gentle slaps. <laughs> They're all on the nod. So it was sort of not a very effective way to, to wage a battle. But... But yeah, it was something romantic about the, you know the old days where everyone had a bit of opium before breakfast. Wouldn't that, that be a great of... reality show? Is two sides both on opium, uh, <laughs> fighting a war and just occasionally stopping to write poetry? Yeah. <laughs> they always looked really comfortable to me. You know, when I remember, like I think there was a tin tin that had an opium den in it. That's right. With, That's with right. With the blue lotus. Mm. Yeah, lying on these beautiful, soft red beds. And I used to think as a kid, oh, I'd love to go to an opium den one day. That just looks wonderfully It's fun. a very elegant way to be a drug addict. There's an irony too here because, um, you know, the symbol now when we were on Remembrance Day is the poppy, which of course yes, comes from the poppy true. plant and the opium comes from poppy seeds. And so it's all, in, in, in some ways, then every war is an opium war. Because <laughs> like, whenever you're wearing a poppy on your lapel, you effectively celebrate an opium, I believe. Can you, can you get opium <laughs> nowadays? You can. You can the, you, in Tasmania, funnily enough, they grow poppies. And the poppy farmers, and they grow them for floral reasons, you mm. know, to sell yeah, the for, <laughs> floral <laughs> reasons. Yeah, just yeah. so we can sell the flower. <laughs> but they need to put on extra security because a lot of people are always raiding the plants to cultivate it uh, into opium. It happens a lot, I think, um, sort of around Laos, uh, I want to say Cambodia, Thailand, that golden triangle, triangle, the golden yeah. triangle. But that's is, now heroin, isn't that? Doesn't well, that come opium's from heroin, sort of stuff, the same yeah. sort of plant, I understand. No, poppies are used for heroin as well. So it, now the same thing still happens, but it's, yeah. it's a harder drug. Whenever you get poppy seeds on your Big Mac or, or any bread or roll, a bagel. if you have enough... <laughs> <laughs> oh, buns yeah. with poppy seeds on them, or that orange and poppy seed cake. If you have enough of that, you could get a tiny high. You do, yeah. Although you you, you do have very bad teeth as well, after you? you do, and you end up begging for loose change on Burke Street Mall for the rest of your life. But so, uh, what do you think? Going to going to war over? I, I suppose this was the first war on drugs. We're going to war over drugs. I find it hard to see the any any good side of that. Cat's piss. Look. <laughs> what was the going rate? Like if, if, if I had a kilo of bird poo and someone else had a kilo of opium, 
Could I have, what, could you have bartered a bit there? Were they equally valuable commodities? That's the way that trade worked in those days. Yeah. It was object for object. Yeah, sure. Because if you had to smoke one of them, <laughs> I yes. reckon I'm not choosing the bird poo. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move a bit forward in time to 1969. The football war, as it was called, uh, between El Salvador and Honduras. Look, there were lots of tensions um, back in those days. Honduras had lots of land. El Salvador had a big population. Lots of Salvadorians were in Honduras, and they were trying to evict them and send them back. It was actually over a game of soccer, a World Cup qualifier, three nations in late 1969. And on the evening of the third match, El Salvador dissolved diplomatic ties with Honduras and invaded a couple of weeks later. It only lasted for four days. It was known as the 100-hour war. But um, getting so upset over a football game mm. that you'd invade. I mean, state of origin gets pretty heated, but we've never quite gotten to that point. Because it wasn't a, it was a foul, wasn't it? That um, where they then had a penalty, which led to a goal. I think you might know How more about you know this than I do. So much about this football war. Charles. Oh, because uh, there's a there's a great book written by Rizard Kapuscinski about it. <laughs> And oh, he, of course. That's why don't why. you just take yes. over the podcast briefly, no, Charles? He, Tell us more. He had, it's a fascinating <laughs> tale, this, because it was literally about the soccer match. And, and, and there had been a context of there was tensions between the two sides, the two uh, countries. But um, this journalist was on the border and he was just interviewing people about the tensions. And suddenly it broke out into this almighty war where they started actually, I'm pretty sure it was that night that... Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, they the, began. The, the plane started mm. dropping bombs. And it was going, <laughs> oh, oh my God. And it was, was about that, the soccer match. Was that full on? Like the Air Force got yeah. involved? Yeah, yeah. So what actually happened was uh, El Salvador won the final game 3-2 in extra time. So a very narrow victory. Yeah. And then later that day, they actually strapped explosives to passenger aircraft and started using them to, to bomb Honduras. That, like, talk about rubbing in a victory. And it's it not be, that's being a sore wow. winner. Or had no one thought to buy fireworks for the celebrations at the end. So they just thought, oh, well, we could use explosives. We'll just drop them on the stadium. Let's hope no one misinterprets this as a violent act. But, but I think it's because all the Hondurans were fleeing across the border to El Salvador, weren't they? So it was like a refugee crisis. Mm. It was as if Peter Dutton decided to actually... You know, strap bombs on and and go and blow up a right. few boats. Don't like give him ideas. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I mean, cat's pajamas for me. It doesn't strike me as that odd. Like soccer's always bred violence. Even today, you know, in the A League, there's always flares going off. Like the fans, whenever the Serbs and the Croats are playing each other, it always ends in a type of war. What was this? A hundred hours, you said? Only a hundred hours. So yeah, yeah. like today, we there might be ten-hour wars, but there's still mm. people throwing shit at each other, and that's football. That's it, what we love about the game. It, I'm sorry, there's not more war after a game because that shows people care. And it's it, like it's like the British, you know, in Britain they always go out on those, you know, riots. Yeah. Uh, you know. Yes. Yeah, it, it, that's like that. Except the government also gets involved with yeah. a bit of air force and stuff like that. It's actually a really it's a good way to militarise the football rights. The funniest thing about it, though, is that, was it World War One, the Christmas truce? Oh, where, yeah. Where, <laughs> like, when yeah. the Germans and the Allies decided to suspend hostilities for a couple of hours on Christmas Eve, I believe it was. It might have been Christmas Day. And they had a soccer game. 
Yeah, well, and you know that that's the reason that the war continued, Chris, because the, there was actually oh. a total ceasefire. But the soccer game reignited the tension so badly that they had to fight another three years' worth of wars. Oh, dear. So if only they hadn't played soccer, the war might have been finished much more quickly. Well, I, well, that makes utter sense to me because nothing incites violence or uh, raises tempers more than a game of sport. Now let's turn the clock back to 1788, obviously a very big year in Australia's history, uh, but also the year when the Battle of Karen Sebes happened. And this is unusual in that the combatants in this war were Austria and Austria. Uh, at the time, Austria and the Ottoman Turks were having a, a one of those big battles that, uh, of the sort that generally turned into a pretty massive war. And Austria had an army of um, something like 100,000 soldiers camping uh, near the border and things were very tense. They often are when these things, you know, mass troops near a border. And uh, on the night in question, a bunch of Austrian soldiers um, found some schnapps. They got a local to sell them some schnapps and got incredibly drunk on the schnapps. Then they started arguing and someone started firing. Guess what happened then? Other troops further along the line started firing back and uh, it escalated from there. The army was firing at itself and uh, in the end, there were, casualties were so high that they needed to withdraw, even though, as far <laughs> as everyone too. knows, th- yeah. there were no Turks that they were withdrawing from. They were withdrawing from other Austrian troops. This was just one <laughs> night, uh, the 21st of September, 1788. Right. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> that, that is truly brilliant because what it proves is that if you ever want to wage a successful war with high casualties... Go to war against yourself because you've got much better access and you know all their techniques. Yeah. Yeah. This is cat's pyjamas. I'm often surprised this doesn't happen more often. Like as someone who's never been in, in a combat situation and hopefully never will be, like when it's dark and mm. like yeah. you don't know where shells are coming from. And they like, didn't have infrared. I reckon you would have just been firing at any noise you heard. And if if it happens to bring down your best mate, well, so be it. Well, it's person, like every man yeah. for himself, isn't it? The person who really didn't help matters was uh, at one stage during the evening, someone ran along going, Turks, Turks, there's Turks. <laughs> right. And that really escalated stuff. <laughs> really? I mean, they misheard him and he was actually full of schnapps and screaming out, I'm on the Terps, I'm on the <laughs> yeah. Terps. Um, one of the highlights of the evening, um, the Holy Roman Emperor at the time, uh, the, which was, of course, the rule of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, Joseph II, uh, was pushed off his horse into a small creek during the hubbub. Oh, poor bloke. Did he, was he all right? Was the horse okay? Well, the entire army was retreating from the imaginary Turks at the time. <laughs> you think that, like, didn't they think the Turks had suspiciously good German? Like, how hard is it to confuse a Turk for an Austrian? Well, this is part of the problem because the like, Austro-Hungarian Empire, they had a whole bunch of different languages within the Austrian army, the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And at one point... um. Someone shouted, halt, halt. And uh, other soldiers who thought that who didn't speak German thought that uh, they were shouting, Allah, Allah. And so it just got worse. So whatever they did made it worse, basically. Oh, I see. Gosh. Well, you would get confused Any, anywhere where you've got lots of people firing guns. I, I sometimes think this must happen in um, like, like Mexico when, when they have a celebration, you know, and, and don't, don't all Mexicans sort of pull out guns and shoot them mm. into the air, or well, they do in movies anyway. Yeah. And I would have thought that the, that would make the neighbours very worried and maybe start a war. I, I can see this happening, I, and it's cat's pyjamas for me. Fantastic. I did read once that there was a period in the early days of bikies where 
they didn't wear their patches identifying themselves to a particular club. And so when fights broke out in pubs, they, they didn't really care if you were fighting your friend or the other bikey gang. You just sort of liked to knuckle on. And But when, you know, they were starting to decimate their own ranks accidentally because they weren't familiar with everyone who was in their club. So they made an order that they had to start identifying themselves on their jackets so oh, you right. knew which bike you belonged to which club. So you, could glass so the you right didn't person. accidentally glass your, your friend. Well, this is apparently a huge problem in war. That's why nowadays they have kind of transponders in all the uh, military vehicles so that they can tell. But didn't in the first Gulf War, didn't friendly fire kill more allied troops than the... Um, Iraqis managed to do? Yeah, I, th- that, I think that is right. That rings true. Yeah. I don't There's think anything about that war about went friendly well. Fire. Yeah. No, it's um, it just, it sort of goes back to what we're saying with the opium wars. You know, we were sort of facetiously saying, were they on opium? But fighting a war pissed is probably never a great idea. No. Like if you've lost a leg <laughs> and there's no anaesthetic, maybe then scull a bottle yeah. of gin. But don't begin your war by having a night on the tiles because it will only end badly. You're right, that exact, That's what Field Marshal Haig told the troops, Chris, yeah. before they rolled out. <laughs> While he was sipping his whiskey. Well, I think you're right, Taylor. I think had they been on opium instead of uh, schnapps, it would have been a lot better. Uh, the postscript to all this, two days after this event, this giant retreat from having fought themselves, the Turks turned up. Discovered dead and wounded soldiers and easily took the town. (laughs) Who got the medal for that? Like, did someone claim credit on the Turkish side for the most brilliant offensive ever? I've no idea. It's a rhetorical question. (laughs) Um, Look, it would have been richly deserved. But they were fighting Austria. Austrians have never been very good at winning wars, have they? No, no. Yes, (laughs) Hitler was a very bad strategist. It turned out. Now, a bit closer to home, the Flagstaff War, which occurred in New Zealand, eighteen. 45 to 46. Is that a war at the Flagstaff Inn? Well, this all started because oh, yeah. of an actual, an actual flag. So uh, in, the, in 1840, this all began. Uh, British troops were in New Zealand in the town of um, Kororureka, uh, which was then a, t- a town of uh, brothels and, you know, gambling dens. And sounds much more fun than modern day New Zealand, to be honest. So it was a kind of place that uh, dodgy folks kind of gathered at and had bar fights. Oh, right. So the was, British, was the slogan 100% pure New Zealand? <laughs> it was kind of the Queenstown of its day. If you right. Know. Um, so the British were, were, came along there and ho- hoisted the Union Jack over the town. I guess it was a disputed area at the time. Uh, put the Union Jack up. Um, but one of the, the Maori chiefs by the name of Hone Heke, he rode into town and chopped down the flagpole, thinking that the British wouldn't mind. Yes, they did. The British then erected a new flagpole. He then chopped it down again. A third was erected and they <laughs> felled it one more time. A fourth one went up. They put iron barriers around it and an armed guard. We're imagining <laughs> this kind of happened quite quickly. Back in England, the House of Commons decided that, that, that the chief and his people had no right to do this and that must, they must be taught a lesson. Uh, mm. And a bunch of missionaries passed this on that the Commons had gotten upset about it, passed the information on to the chief. His tribe came into the town and just indiscriminately butchered the townspeople, cut them up left, right, oh. and centre. The British tried to dig themselves in, but were completely taken uh, by the Maoris. And in the final moments, they chopped down the flagpole again. <laughs> right. oh. What an extraordinary thing. Yeah, yeah. I wow. had no idea that 
there'd been a sort of war in New Zealand at all. Ever. So a ten-month oh. rebellion, basically, for the local marriage. The British obviously were able to to gain control of the country in the end, but they never put the flagpole back up. No, probably a good move. Uh, wow. you, they should have learned that after about the second attempt of putting the flagpole <laughs> up, that it wasn't going down that well with the local yeah, population. Yeah, yeah. Um, who has that many flagpoles on them was my mm. question. It's like, pretty impressive. It's not like just a little, you know, a, a paddle pop stick you might have on you. Like Aww. a flagpole, were they just whittling them from trees, yeah. I guess? Yeah, back maybe. In the day, back in the day, the British used to just... To have ships full of flagpoles, didn't they? And they'd plant them on every bloody island they landed on. Yeah, this is ours, the... and this one, and this one. We'll have this one too. You'd just go to the Bunnings ship, wouldn't you, and just get another one? Yeah, no, it's, um, it sounded like pretty bloodthirsty in the end. Absolutely. No, a lot of lives were lost just over a flagpole. Mm. And then ironically, you know, last year, whenever it was, the British... Ironically, the Kiwis then decided to keep the, the Union Jack on the flag on their flag. Of course, not long ago they had the referendum to change. So they came to like the uh, Union Jack being erected above New Zealand. I guess in the end, it's always so funny what people do over something as meaningless and benign as a flag. You know, like you've got the um, the NFL controversy in America at the moment with taking a kneel during the anthem, and it's all that's sort of spun by Trump and his people as disrespecting the flag. And then here we've got people going to war over the flag. I, I generally don't even acknowledge flag. I don't. They're just they're just things you stick on a cheese on a cheese. Well, they're a cape for, for Australia Day. <laughs> it's a fashion accessory perhaps, for bogans. Perhaps the Maoris were more worried about um, these white foreigners coming in and taking all their land. Maybe it was more of a sim- symbol of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, they were yeah, worried yeah. about the yeah. dispossession of their land. Well, yeah. that no, makes yeah, I think, mean, Chris, the, the flag isn't just a, a, a sort of piece of cloth. <laughs> Right. <laughs> but it is strange because the Maoris, I don't know that the Maoris had flags. So why, well, this was why does problem. this cloth have... So, that mm. that would have been a better solution. If they'd just come up with their own flag, they could have put it next harmoniously next to the British flag and then, you know, go, oh, you, I see your flag, I raise you a flag. <laughs> we don't even know if it was the flag. I, I just might love be, that they... might have objected to the poll. That's <laughs> very anti-poll. <laughs> I just love the, the idea that they kept putting it down, chopping yep. it down and putting yeah. it up again over and over again. We've got one yeah. more ridiculous war to talk about here. It's known as the War of Jenkins's Ear. It went from 1739... <laughs> you made that up. No, no, this is absolutely true. The War of Jenkins's Ear, um, 1739 to 42. And uh, it commemorates a man by the name of Robert Jenkins, a British Navy captain. And back in 1731, his ship was boarded by Spaniards and they decided to slice off Jenkins's ear. Uh, That's a dick move. And (laughs) so he wasn't happy. Um, Yeah, poor Jenkins. Jenkins obviously couldn't then wear glasses properly, the poor man. (laughs) Was that his biggest problem? (laughs) So no ear. Never mind, he can never listen to Beethoven again. Oh, where am I going to put my second half of my spectacles? (laughs) And uh, I mean, you know, Evander Holyfield's had the same problem more recently. But in 1739, the British wanted to declare war on Spain. But under the law of war, they needed a pretext to go to war. So a parliamentary hearing was held into the matter of Jenkins's ear. He got to uh, actually bring the remains of the ear oh, to Parliament. The ear testified. And show everyone the shriveled bits oh. of ear. Um, when you ev- say parliamentary hearing, poor old Jenkins came <laughs> able to hear a thing. It's an ironic title, isn't it? So he was, uh, after people had observed the remains, the shriveled remains of his ear, everyone decided in the room that this couldn't be stood for, this slight to British honour. And what was declared in the aftermath of that? Well, they were fighting in the Caribbean and in South America, 
And it eventually morphed into the War of Austrian Succession, which was basically a war that uh, took in much of the European continent. And a half a million people died right. um, in the war that followed on from the matter of Jenkins's ear. Can I just ask, do you actually need an ear? Like, you can still hear without That's the a ear. good point. You've got your hearing hole. you still got your hearing. Sure, you might not be able to wear your glasses, but... You- <laughs> They, I think they all had monocles back then anyway. It was, they were <laughs> yeah. largely monocles. Well, yeah. What are our ears even for? Well, um, I think this yeah. is very cat's piss. Especially over half a million people dead for the ear. I think, sort I of think, thing, isn't it, put up with it. Aren't you kind of asking, can you still get Sky TV if you don't have a satellite dish? <laughs> like, isn't, isn't the ear effectively, it, it, doesn't no. it help you hear? Oh, no, yeah. No, no, no. no. No, you can still hear without the ear. It's just, you probably hear a little bit worse. So when Chopper Reed took his ears, I think he just took his lobes off. But so Van Gogh, for instance, took a whole ear off. I thought that did affect his hearing. It may have. Well, I think I think it's direction, and that's sort of. I think there's a reason our ears are that funny shape. They have to be shaped like a dried apricot, or otherwise things don't sound the way they're meant to. So can Charles. I just clarify where we are with this? It, it seems it, as though the, the usefulness of an ear <laughs> is, is relevant to your decision to call this cat's pyjamas or was, cat's piss. Was this part of the parliamentary inquiry, like whether an ear is particularly <laughs> useful? Yeah, that's <laughs> why they spent the three years debating. <laughs> but I, I just love that the, 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 you say it turned into a... Uh, they renamed the war, did they, Don, mm. after three years. They, they called it the Austrian War of Succession well, or something. Back in those three days, years one to give war, the war a sensible name. We need, we need a rebranding campaign. This war <laughs> yeah, yeah. about the ear is not going well with the public. But it's confusing <laughs> for the public because, it's you know, like if you go and see, what's an example, Dumb and Dumber, mm-hmm. and then you go and see Dumb and Dumber 2, you know it's the sequel. You know, it's the same yeah. brands. It's like, like, so they've suddenly just rebranded halfway into the war. It should have been... Yeah. The second war of Jenkins's, Jenkins's ear. ear. Yeah. Two. Yeah. Well, Jenkins's ear. Two. The, Empire, the ear strikes back. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, then, I mean, following like, on from the War of Austrian Succession, they went into a seven years war that led to far more deaths. So it really seven years. Years. And, and it really did they, snowballed. Did they name it the Seven Years War at the beginning of the war? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we've, got a, we've got a timeline and a schedule. We have to go for exactly seven years. But if, if you think of you. If you're in Parliament that day and Jenkins had been holding his shriveled ear in front of you and telling you his tale of woe of the Spanish slicing it off, would you have voted to go to war? Cat's pyjamas or cat's piss? Well, I would have definitely voted yes to war, definitely, because, you know, that's what gets the votes. And you get all the kickbacks from the arms manufacturers. The war's never about the pretext. You just always vote for it. That's 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 how all our modern politicians. I mean, not to bring down the whole podcast, but no, no, th- that is actually that's the whole. That's why every time mm. there's a war, it's that the parliament voted ninety nine to one, yeah, to go to war. <laughs> and, that, the, and the reason is immaterial. Yeah, it's like the war in Afghanistan. You know, they used nine eleven as the pretext, even yeah. though there was no actual correlation between nine eleven and Afghanistan. Mm. They they just used something that would get them where they wanted to go into. In this case, they wanted oil and that kind of thing. So look, look. I didn't know Jenkins personally, but um, <laughs> I think I'm right in saying none of us did. But it kind of comes down for me about, like, you know, how much the ears were useful to him. Like, if he was a musician, if he was a particularly good singer, if he used his ears to, you know, navigate. Um, he was a model. 
an ear mm. model, a spectacles model. Yeah. <laughs> then, yeah. then I think this is a hugely egregious. But if if he's as Charles said, if he's just a regular person, mm. you know, he can just turn the other way in his portraits. You'd never know he lost one ear behind the other way if he always just shows you his good side. You've got two, don't you? <laughs> you do always have two. Well, look, it's true, and and the the European habit of um, taking these fairly small incidents and blowing them up into a continent-wide war would, of course, later. Um, mean that after Franz Ferdinand got killed in 1914, the entire continent uh, went into World War One. So really an excellent habit to form back in the days of Jenkins' year. I think that's a sufficiently positive note to leave things on, really. It does. Um, it does. Charles has made a good point about the naming of wars. Um, and I heard a good story the other day. Uh, here's a question for you. When was the phrase, the First World War, first coined? Surely oh, after a... the second. Okay, that's what you think. Well, that's what you would think. Uh, Dom? I think they would have gotten in after. The cynics would have called it that because another one was going around the corner. So you think even while the World War One was being fought, someone coined no, the no, phrase? No, no, no. no, no. Was, I don't seriously. Was called... It, that was called it the Great War at the time. Hmm. Andrew? Well, it sounds like a trick question. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess that it was thought up even before the war... <laughs> Began. <laughs> well, Andrew's probably closest. What? It, it was in the first year of the war. Um, someone first coined the term the First World War. But the emphasis oh, was on world, not oh, first. This is the oh, First yeah. World War. Yeah, but the course, phrase the first anything. First it's World like, War, then Second mm, World War. And the yeah. Of course, of course. Well, what a wonderful <laughs> note of trivia to, to end the discussion on. Um, look, I guess the point is war is inevitable. And the, only the reasons that change. What a fantastic thought with which to bid farewell. Very profound, very profound. We'll catch you next time on Cat's Pyjamas with The Chaser. Cat's Pyjamas or Cat's Piss with The Chaser was written and presented by The Chaser. Created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia, producer Alex Mitchell, sound production by Darcy Thompson and Matt Nikolic. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au, download the Podcast One app or search Cat's Pyjamas on Apple Podcasts.